Take your Bibles and join me in Luke 22, Luke 22, beginning in verse 14 is where we're going to start. I've just simply entitled this, Remember Me. This is, I will do this sometimes, those of you who have been with us a while, you'll know that. Sometimes I'll stay in the, whatever section of scripture we're in. Um, right now we're in Mark 4, and it's the parable of the talents, and um, not, no, it's not. It's the parable of the seed and the sower. What am I saying? Um, and there's, there's a lot in there. And I, I wanted to take time to unpack that properly. So I've, I've hit the pause button on that. And it's good sometimes to pull back when we're doing communion and remember what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, the word remember just so happens to occur 132 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot, isn't it? 132 times. And 31 times it shows up in the New Testament. 163 times in the Bible. I think God does that because we are prone to forgetting. Amen? We are, we are prone to forget. What, what's the, come thou found that one verse that says prone to wander. You know why we wander? Because we forget. We forget who we are. We forget whose we are. Right? And we forget why we're here. You ever wondered about that? You ever wondered about why you're still here? Yeah, if you stop and think about it, the best thing God could have done, the moment you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, is to stop your heart and take you home. Right? You're never going to be any better. And right then, but he didn't. And if he left you here, there's a reason, right? So we're going to explore that today. And the reason we forget is because we stop remembering who we are, whose we are, and why we're here. And the Lord has given us this beautiful, uh, it's got two names. Um, you can, some call it a sacrament um, and some call it an ordinance. You say, which one is it, Pastor? Is it a sacrament, the Lord's Supper, or is it an ordinance? The answer is yes. Uh, it's both of those things. Um, God's given this to us in order for one primary purpose, to help us remember. So with that in mind, Sam, I think the first thing that comes up is, the, is our text. Am I correct? Luke 24. Would you read this with me in your own Bibles? So it says this. This is, the, this is Luke's version. Now remember, he's getting all of his, most of his information from Peter, which, which Mark did as well. But here's what Dr. Luke records. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. So all of his men are gathered around him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in, what's that word, church? Remembrance, remembrance of me. In other words, do this and remember me. 
Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now you'll notice there were two cups in there. There's actually four in the Jewish Passover Seder meal. So this is the third cup. We'll talk about that later, the cup of redemption. That Jesus says, I'm going to shift to help you understand some things. So today, I want to go over some scriptures with you about remembering. The first one is in Psalms 25 and verse 7. Psalm 25 and verse 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Psalm 105.5, remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth. Remember, church. Psalm 106.7, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. Listen to this. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. See the danger of not remembering and the command too in the Old Testament? Then we shift to the New Testament, Ephesians 2.12. Remember, speaking to these Gentile believers, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember, Gentiles, who you were and what has been given to you. Remember, 2 Timothy 2.8, remember... Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. This is Paul, the apostle, speaking here. Remember Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to their iniquities. Listen to this. And I will remember their sins no more. Revelation 3, 3. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Remember what you have received and heard. Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, teach me and I forget, or tell me and I forget. Teach me and I may remember. Involve me and I will learn. So Spurgeon put it this way. He said, a good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you when the forget-me-nots have withered. And he said this, this powerful thought. Think about this. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. We'll never do that if we don't remember. So when Jesus wanted to give his followers a way of understanding what was about to happen to him. He didn't give him a theory. He didn't give him a sermon. Instead, he gave them an action to perform. And here specifically, he gave them a meal to share. And it's a meal that speaks more volumes than any theory ever could. And the best way of finding out what it says, of course is to do it. 
It's something Christ commanded us to do, such as his other commands, love one another, John 13, 35. Or the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Or as Christ did on his final night on this earth, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, do this and it will make you remember me. Because I think Jesus knew how easily we forget. It's almost as if time wipes all things out. Time is like a sponge on a chalkboard just wiping away the memories. And Jesus is basically saying in the rush and stress of life, you're going to forget me. You're going to forget who you are, what I've done for you. Because people forget. That's the way the brain works. It's not necessarily because we want to. We just do. And I don't know about you. The older you get, the more quickly you forget. I write things down in, in like three different places in the hopes that I won't forget important upcoming events. And so we come into the peace and stillness of our church family, and we do this thing again and again with our sisters and our brothers. And Jesus says, when you do it, you will remember me. And somewhere deep in the human brain, is a neurological link between food and memory. Um, many of us have food triggers, those distinctive tastes or smells that immediately carry us back to another time or time of year. Um, I cooked a turkey yesterday for today, so y'all need to stay and have some good roasted turkey. What do you think of when you smell that roast turkey? Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving right? And I don't know about you, that brings up some good memories for me. That makes me remember the first time I tried sweet potato souffle. Y'all know what that is? Y'all think that's a southern thing. I don't know, I don't know if it is. Um, I wouldn't eat it for years. Wouldn't, they wouldn't touch it. Because it looked like winter squash. It's the same color as Hubbard squash, which we grew up eating, which is, I'm pretty sure there's something in Leviticus that says don't eat that stuff. Well, my mother never read that part. We, we lived off of that nasty gourd all winter long. The smell of it can make me want to throw up. And that sweet potato souffle is same exact color. And I, I'm not having it. And the only time you ever cooked it was Thanksgiving, right, babe? And we had this one Thanksgiving. Everybody had moved away or was out of town, the whole family. And it was like just our little family. And I'll tell you how long ago it was. We had a little family back then. And she made this little thing of sweet potato souffle basically just for herself because she's the only one that would eat it. And I was so bummed out that everybody was gone that I inadvertently put some of that on my plate without thinking. And I thought, well, I might as well try it. Well, I ate the whole thing. It was amazing. And like, I look forward to every Thanksgiving and that sweet potato souffle. They didn't tell me it was dessert. It is, and it's the only time as a kid you can eat dessert before your meal and not get in trouble, right? So don't we have these food triggers? Uh, another food trigger for me 
is Saturday mornings when I was a kid, we always got up. Dad, my dad uh, was such a kind man. He allowed us to sleep in till 7 on Saturday morning. 7 was sleeping in. I think my father had this thought that sleeping past 7 was a sin. I never found that in the scripture, but he thought so. But he was kind enough to let us sleep till 7. And the way he got us up most mornings, not every Saturday, but most Saturdays, is the smell of some, this glorious thing cooking in the kitchen. And we all lived, all us fellows lived upstairs. And he would open that door, and when he did, that draft would come upstairs, and you would smell that kishka cooking in the pan. Mom, you were cooking it. Why do you make that face? It's glorious. It's a Polish breakfast sausage that we're, we, we most certainly are going to eat in heaven. It smells like roadkill, but it tastes wonderful. And, and we would literally fall over each other getting down the stairs to get to the table so we could have some of that kishka. Food triggers, right? And when you smell that, man, it just brings you back. Matter of fact, I haven't had kishka since my dad died. I don't know if I can bring myself to but one of these days I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, I've got to get up to Atlanta and get some, but that's going to be a hard, that's going to be a bittersweet because it's going to remind me of dad, right? Food trick. So Jesus sets out this meal for his disciples. And it is a way to help them remember. And there's a way in which we can be said to live our entire lives in a haze of forgetfulness. Isn't that true? Sometimes that food will bring us right back to it. Biblical scholar Wayne Brudgerman uh, said this of the most important things in being a Christian is to, quote, practice memory in a world of amnesia. Right? And just like those smells and those foods will just trigger your memory and bring you right back. So with this ele these elements, this remembrance tool that Jesus gives, we look backward to history, inward to our hearts, our souls, and our lives, and forward to eternity with the full revealing of our Lord and our King, Jesus. All this little cracker and this little cup of juice should be a food trigger to help us to do all of those things. So real quickly, let me just run through that, what that might look like this morning. First of all is the backward look, the past shadow of the body of Christ. Looking behind, in, in Leviticus chapter 1, jot these down under there, verses 3 to 4. Listen to the words that God gives to Moses. Now this is talking about a Jewish man offering a sacrifice, uh, a burnt offering for the sin of his family or his own sin. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish, he shall do it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Now look in verse 4. Back up, please. Here, look at what he's got to do. He shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Um, now go ahead to that next one. This is, this is an artist's rendition of what that might look like. And that word atonement means the satisfaction, the covering of one's sins is what the word atonement means. To atone for, to cover over the sins. And so what God says to his people through 
Moses is, here's what the guy's supposed to do. He comes over, and by putting his hand on the head of this one-year-old male sheep, the lamb, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to transfer his sins into that animal. And that animal can then make atonement for him. Well, how does that work? Um, well, we see it in, Luke, in uh, Leviticus 17.11. I think that's the next scripture on the screen. Um, for the life of the flesh is in the what, church? Blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make, here's that word again, atonement, the covering of your sins, atonement for your souls. For your whole lives. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Why? Because the life is where? In the blood. So, and you can go to that next screen, please. Uh, at that point, what the man would need to do, after he puts his hand on the head of that lamb, God transfers his sin, sin of his family, into that innocent animal... And then he would cut the throat of that lamb. C.S. Lewis said this, Every ancient temple smelled like a slaughterhouse. You ever been to a slaughterhouse? Yeah. You will never forget that smell, will you? I mean, that's one of those things that unfortunately sticks with you. Um, it's got a distinct smell, and it's not a good one. Um, you ever wondered why in the Old Testament God had these certain uh, incense burners? Part of that was to cover up the stench of blood and other things that were spilled. They were literally in the system of the temple, were, were literally troughs built into the floor and vats underneath it to catch all the blood. There was so much blood. John 1, 29 through 34, John speaks of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here's what it says. The next day John saw Jesus coming. Now remember, John and Jesus are cousins. Coming toward him and said, Behold, or look, right there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who's preferred before me, for he was before me. Now that's interesting because John was born first. But when he says he was before me, he's referring to the eternality of the second son, or the second uh, person of the Trinity, the Son of God. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. Now look at what he tells them is going to happen after that. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him after the baptism of Jesus. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, which John did see that, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is Messiah. This is the one. So here Jesus is pictured as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Don't forget that picture you just saw. This is a backward look at, look at the Old Testament. Listen, folks, every single sacrifice in the Old Testament was a shadow that was cast by Christ Himself. They all pointed to Jesus. Are you with me this morning? All of it. And we must look back. 1 Peter 2.24 
The scripture says this, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins with him, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were, what's that word? Healed. Right? We died with Christ, Paul says over and over again. And having done that, we died to sin so that we might live to righteousness. We look back at the Lamb. And then we look at the cross and we see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think there's a screen for that, Sam. There's the thought there. There's the Lamb that pays for the sin of the man. There's the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who pays for our sin. You see, here's the one little thing about those, the blood of the bulls and the goats in the Old Testament. They could never wipe away sin. Did y'all realize that? All that did was push that sin forward. You paid your debt forward. But next year, guess what? You better have you another one. And if you had a bad day in between that, you better have another one. All it could do was push your sins forward. Forward to what? To the day that the Lamb of God would hang on that cross between heaven and hell and shed His blood for all those who believed, were believing then, and would believe in the future. So we look backwards. But we also look inwards. We look inside. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 to 30 gives us this. It says, let a man examine himself. Here's what the scripture says. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So it's not an excuse to not take communion. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So you better take an inward look. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That word sleep doesn't mean taking a Sunday nap either. That means a dirt nap. Many of those Corinthian Christians had died because they weren't discerning the body of Christ. They were not examining themselves. And specifically, this is interesting to me, it has one specific application and meaning, and we find it out um, in that same passage, and it's their relationship with each other in the church. They weren't doing right by each other in the church. The rich people weren't doing right by the poor people, and it was causing division. And God's like, no, we're not doing that. And Paul has to correct them so they can stop doing funerals. We have to take an inside look. We need to look inside. We look backward and see Christ as a Lamb of God who bore our sins in His body on the cross. We see that He bridges the gap and heals the cancer of sin that has made us the enemies of God and He brings peace between us and God. And listen, and Paul is saying here, and we had better know that we have a responsibility to extend that peace to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? There's a relational aspect to the Lord's table that we had, we had better tread lightly. Amen? We better be loving each other preferring one another before ourselves in honor. That's why we always take a moment to examine our hearts before we come and step up to this table. And there have been times people have had to go to each other in this room in my right memory. People have had to stop in that time. That's what it's for. Go to that person, make it right. 
offer forgiveness, offer repentance before them for holding things against them. Your relationships need to be right because of what Jesus did to make that happen. Does that make sense? We look backward, but we also look inward. We must examine ourselves, but then we also look forward. It has a future focus as well. Because our sins are gone, they're dead in the body of a dead Savior and covered by His shed blood. And eternal life is ours through faith and repentance and a commitment as we follow Christ. It's assured to us through Jesus' resurrection and ascension that we have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Eternal life. Life that goes on forever and ever and will never end. Do you realize today that eternal life is not a thing, it's a person? Yes. And that person is Jesus. Do you have him? Does he have you? Then you have eternal life. And as we take this meal, we look forward to the day that we can enjoy some kind of feast with Jesus. And all the t I think at that time, all the times that we took the Lord's Supper, He's going to bring that back to our mind. We need to come and we need to remember that. And we need to look forward. It's very important. It's a command that Jesus has given us so that our consciousness will come alive to the reality that there's another world beyond this one. And that world is the most important. Amen? And sometimes, don't you feel like sometimes we live in a haze? <clears throat> sometimes... We realize, man, I'm getting old. My mom always said that growing old isn't for sissies. And I'm, unfortunately, I'm starting to understand what she means. Man, it is. There's some hard things that come with getting older. Right? Stuff that you can't do. I finally found the edges of my endurance, and it hurt my feelings. It wasn't near as I wasn't near as strong as I thought I was. I, I, it's hard. Weakness is hard. But this meal reminds us that that's only temporary. Amen. And now one day, with that forward look of hope, because of what Jesus did represented in these elements today, we're going to have eternal life through Christ. It's going to be amazing. Once upon a time, twin boys were conceived in the same womb. Weeks passed by, and the twins began to develop. As their awareness grew, they laughed with joy and said, isn't it great that we were conceived? And isn't it great that we're alive? The twins explored their world together. And they found their mother's cord that gave them life, and they sang for joy. How great is our mother's love that she shares her own life with us. Weeks stretched into months, and the twins started to notice just how much each of them was changing. What does this mean, one twin asked the other? Well, it means that our stay in this world is coming to an end, the other one said. But I don't want to go. I want to stay here forever, the first twin replied. Well, we don't have a choice, said the other. But you never know. Maybe there's life after birth. The other one said, no, we will shed our cord. How is it possible that we will live without it, replied the other. Besides, we've seen evidence of others 
who've come before us and gone on, yet none of them have come back to show us that there's life beyond. No, this is the end. And so the other twin fell into a deep despair, saying, if conception ends in birth, what's the purpose of the womb? It's meaningless. Maybe there's no mother after all. But there has to be, the other protested. How, how else did we get in here? And how do we stay alive? Maybe she's just a figment of our imagination. Maybe we made her up because the idea made us feel good, the first twin said. And so their last days in the womb were filled with deep questioning and a lot of fear. Finally, the moment of birth arrived. And when the twins had passed on from their world, they opened their eyes and they cried. For what they saw exceeded their greatest expectations. Now we look at that and we can say, oh, those foolish babies. We're just like them. That's talking about us. There is life after death. And it's forever and always because of what Jesus has done for us. And we need to invest this life for that one. What we do here has an effect on what that life will be like forever and always. And there is a God and He is good. And He does provide all that we need for life and godliness. And this meal here in this place with these people around this table, we come to remember. We are to remember that there's more to this life than meets the eye. More than we can see. We're to remember that God's plan of redemption for the world means that we must eat His body and drink His blood, finding our life through His death. The powers of evil rage. Oh, but listen to me. They have been defeated and our rescue is secure. What good news for us today. And there's something both human and divine about gathering around this table to partake of these elements and these tools, if you will. Do this in remembrance of me, says the Lord. And as we go about these everyday actions of eating and drinking, we know in a way that we really can't put into words that Jesus is here with us. We look back, we look in, and we look ahead as we remember. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus teaches us through a simple meal, and so we shall. Would you pray with me? And as I pray, we'll have a moment to allow the Lord to seek your heart, that you might examine yourself as you come to receive these elements today. Father, we come to you today as we are inviting you to search our hearts. To speak into our lives. To point out clearly where we are not loving one another. 
as you're loving us and that you would give us repentance over that right now that we might enjoy this table for what it is we've looked backwards today we've looked back in history at all those hundreds of thousands even millions of lambs and bulls and goats and birds and grain offerings all of this sacrificial system every single one of them pointed to Jesus we look back to a cross where all of those sacrifices were fulfilled the shadow turned into substance in the person of Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who removes the sin of the world that's our sin we look back and we remember we look at that cross and we realize our sin is far worse than we've understood and your grace is far greater than we can comprehend we look within right now and we ask you to search us to show us where we need to repent and seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters to extend the grace and the peace that has been extended to us through Christ we pray with David that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. And that even as we come and take these elements in a moment, we would truly do so with a, with a, a remembrance of you. Remembering what has been done for us. And then, Lord, we also look ahead. We look ahead to an eternity spent with you the restoration of Eden where work regains its meaning where feasting is a regular event and where great joy takes place around your throne and in your presence and Lord that's not because of anything we have done it's in spite of all that we have done we look forward in hope because of Jesus, and it is him we come to worship today. It is him we come to remember today, and we ask that you would bring us to a proper remembrance of our Savior today. We ask that you would be glorified as we do not take this lightly. In Jesus' name, amen.